Welcome back to a complete history of Manchester United. I'm your host, Wayne Barton, author and producer of several Manchester United books and films. Joined as always on this journey by the legendary football writer, Paddy Barclay, author of several books, most um, significantly to this series, the definitive biography of Sir Matt Busby. There now, get the plug over done with as soon as possible. Right, Sir Matt Busby, definitive biography, the man who built a football club. Um, and it's still available. So, yeah, still it's still available. available. Yeah. And, um, and especially at bad bookshops. <laughs> and some good ones as well. And um, some good ones as well. And if I may say so, um, the I, I know it's there in the title, the definitive biography. That's the title. It's also my opinion. Um, it's a very Thank accurate uh, reflection. Um, one of the, if you've got three United books on your bookshelf, that needs to be one of them. I don't know if that's. Um, I don't know the other two. I'll think of them over the course well, of the series. You, you should. You should know. You probably wrote them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. So, this season is the sixty-five, sixty-six season. Um, and before we get into that, let's um, get through the housekeeping. If you're watching the video, give it a like and subscribe. Join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe. And give us a review on the platform you're listening on. Uh, Paddy, this is the build-up to a World Cup season, and it's the first ever mm. World Cup that's going to be hosted in England, which has meant mm. the redevelopment of Old Trafford has been continuing, not quite as grand as those pre-Munich plans, but redevelopment nonetheless, and you know a grand stand it is for United that's been built. Yes, it was um, it came largely by now, of course, Louis Edwards, uh, father of Martin Edwards, was the... Um, was the chairman, Harold Hardman, um, long-serving director and chairman of United, had died had died a few months earlier. Uh, Louis Edwards was an increasingly powerful figure, friend of Matt's, Matt Busby's. And the two of them um, were very impressed by a, a stand at Manchester Racecourse. And this had executive boxes. Now, they were almost unheard of in football but of course were part of the the racing the greyhound or horse racing experience and matt and louis just thought this is perfect for old trafford we give the the fans who can afford it a really comfortable experience a meal and and, and so on now as you know it, it everywhere in football now but it was very much a, a new idea at the time the it was also of a cantilever design, which meant no uh, pole. Uh, before, stands always had stanchions and poles, so there were in the inevitable obstructed views. This would, this was, because it was built during the 65-6, or it was completed in the early part of the 65-6 season, uh, it was really quite, it's difficult for younger people to realize how sort of revolutionary this was. It was a magnificent site, held twi ha uh, 20 and a half thousand, 10 and a half thousand seated with the 34 executive boxes and 10,000 in a standing paddock uh, underneath. Um, so this was, you know, visible evidence of, of Manchester United uh, getting ready for a brighter future. Um, and... Uh, uh, at the start of this 65-6 season when it would 
uh, they were able to raise a little bit of the money towards it. And it was a gamble um, because the England were hosting the World Cup. And it, it was quite a clever move because otherwise Main Road would probably be, have been chosen as one of the Northwestern grounds. But of course, the cantilever stand made absolutely sure that it would be Old Trafford that would be Manchester's ground for the uh, World Cup held in England. Yeah, um, and we'll talk about the World Cup in due course. Um, before that, England went to Germany. Manchester United had a couple of pre-season friendlies in Germany. Both lost mm -hmm. before the Parity Shield, um, which was at Old Trafford. On the um, it was now, like we said in earlier episodes, it's now been held before the season. United took on um, Liverpool, the FA Cup mm -hmm. winners, entertaining game two-two, but low got injured early on and really that's set the tone for the domestic season for United mm. really yeah. um, disjointed with injuries I mean first of all Dennis Lowe they take a couple of weeks to get going um, Lowe does when he comes back it takes mm. a while to get among the goals they win on the opening day but they get this spate of injuries around the squad specifically mm. in goalkeeping positions as well um, even Bill Folks ultra reliable mm. games and then it all sort of comes to head when they lose 5-1 at Spurs, which has its own little bit of history. Um, John Fitzpatrick becomes the first ever league substitute for United. Mm -hmm. He's already on a hiding to nothing when he tried on to deliver his own personal sense of retribution. Yes. <laughs> Physical. They couldn't deliver it in the result. Um, and, and the start of the season, Paddy, I mean... Yeah. It is a difficult one, isn't it? Because, I mean, you've got... You've got um, Pat Dunn picks up an injury. Dave Gaskell comes in and he's not quite... Um, mm. He's never quite been ready. And it means a recall at some point later in the season for Harry Gregg, who's playing with one shoulder. Um, this yeah. defensive injury as well. So you've got a few problems in there for, for Busby to deal with. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the Spurs game it was was probably the most test the biggest testimony to this. 5-1. Uh, there was to be a sequel to that, but we won't get to that yet. The The game was mainly memorable from the neutral point of view for a wonderful slalom goal by Jimmy Greaves. Oh, yeah. Um, absolutely sliced through the United defence for one of the great goals. But already the Spurs-Man United games were developing a reputation for glamour, which I think really survives to this day. I don't know about you, but I, I think... Yeah, you know, Man United fans of a certain age put a little tick beside the the Spurs fixtures, expecting something special. Um, immediately, it comes to mind the uh, fight back from three nil down to draw three. Uh, to, was it draw or win at, at the White One, Hart Five three, yeah, in two thousand one. I mean, there always seemed to be staggering matches, um, and this this tradition was already underway then. But on this occasion, yes, United 5-1 down. At one stage in the earlier first half of the season, United were below, below halfway. I think they were 13th at one stage after yeah. the 5-1 defeat at Spurs. So, <clears throat> uh, yes, it was uh, it was a bit of a, a setback to the idea that United were going back up to the top as, uh, as in the pre Munich days as a, on a regular basis uh, but and I think Busby felt that the Cups, United were of course in Europe as well as the FA Cup that the Cups might be a more realistic 
target on this occasion. Yeah, um, you mentioned the Spurs game, and yeah, there was a sequel. United won five one in the return. I always Absolutely. remember a famous quote from Dennis Law. He said. And this sort of gives a representation of how individual results were seen in the day and how there was an acceptance of uh, losing. Even if, if you'd have lost in, you know, to a great team playing entertaining football, there was no disgrace in that. Whereas today, mm -hmm. if I had lost 5-1 at Spurs, there'd be recriminations for weeks about it. But yeah. then, as Lowe said, we always seem to score five at Spurs and, and ship score five at home to Spurs and yeah. ship five at Spurs. It's the only time it actually ever happened, but it is representative of... Well, you are talking about some of the greatest players in the world. I mean, at this time, I think that we are talking about Law is still the holder of the Ballon d'Or, you know. So he's, uh, you know, a, a world figure, world-renowned player. Uh, Jimmy Greaves was very, you know, was also, um, having made his name in Chelsea and then in Italy. So, uh, I mean, well, briefly in Italy. And so... Yeah, this is uh, these are these are top top players by any standards. So it's no wonder that the games were a byword for entertainment. Yeah, the the defeat at Spurs had put United in eleventh. You mentioned they dropped even further than that for a little yeah. while. They had this negative goal difference, mm. but there were there was a preoccupation with the European Cup that there was a run that took them to Helsinki and Frankfurt mm. before Christmas. Overcame mm. both of those challenges. Where they were drawn against Benfica in the quarterfinal, um, and it all led us to this. I mean, they they beat Benfica in the first leg. Harry Gregg now backing goal. Um, it was the most reliable keeper that United have got on the books, even though he's half of his body's not working. Yeah. Um, it leads us into this epic week at the end of February, where United yeah. beat Burnley, um, yeah. and like I said, they're looking. To, to the Cubs, really, because they're eight points behind Liverpool. We, they have got two games in hand, but Liverpool are looking really strong after their FA Cup win. Mm -hmm. um, and they're doing they're doing really good in the European Cup Winners' Cup as well. So United, mm -hmm. um, they have this game where they come back at Wolves, they're 2-0 down and they come back to win. Another mm -hmm. um, of those epic clashes uh, at Molyneux, they'd be one in the previous season as well. And then they travel to Benfica for the second leg now. United are three top from the first leg, Benfica mm -hmm. are, only a couple of European Cups. Mm -hmm. Most of that great team still yeah. in issue. Um, and really, it leads us into this night in Benfica in Lisbon, uh, Paddy, which is, I mean, this is the night when Matt Busby's been building his European dream. Um, yeah. Obviously, there's a bit of sweet element to it. About it became, became reality because he, you know, if we go back to the Busby Babes a few years earlier, um, as the years went by, they got closer and closer to a team that could uh, really compete with, in those days, Real Madrid with the, with the yardstick. Then it became Benfica. And so the task was to get to that standard. Now, bear in mind, you very rightly set the scene by saying, you know, the great Benfica team who'd won it, I think, already twice, um, who'd become the successors to... Uh, Eusebio had become the successor to uh, Di Stefano as, you know, if you were sort of saying, you know, who are the great players? And they, okay, yes, Law was the Ballon d'Or holder, but Eusebio had been doing it for years already. And in the first leg at Old Trafford, uh, Eusebio against Styles was the play within the play, uh, entertainment in itself. Charlton stood up and was counted as well. 
But yes, United, Torres pegged United back from 3-1 to 3-2. So the stage was set for a perfect balance at, at Benfica, away in Lisbon. Bear in mind, though, that Benfica had never lost a European match at home. And what's more, United had very uncomfortable memories of Lisbon, where they'd taken a right battering against, I think it was Sporting, hadn't they? The, a couple of years earlier, yeah. Yeah, a couple of years earlier. So the stage was set for Eusebio, but the star was George Best. He overshadowed Eusebio on his own pitch and looked like the most irresistible force in the uh, in the world of football at that time. If I can just, um, and I'm afraid I'm reading from my notes here, but he scored with a header at George Best, as if Benfica had no goalkeeper. He then ran through and dispatched a low drive as if Benfica had no defense. And then he left Connelly with just a tap in. It would have been quite a night's work, but only 16 minutes had gone. I mean, that's just, that is the time it took George Best to reduce the unbeatable Benfica uh, to a beaten side. Um, there was uh, an own goal, I think. Uh, Shea Brennan um, gave away an own goal. Uh, but Creran stepped up. Charlton had a brilliant goal to make it 5-1. And that's still to this day one of the greatest uh, English club performances in Europe. And certainly must be one of United's. Um, it was more than that, though. George Best, because of his short work he'd made of the Benfica uh, defence and the Benfica's indeed entire reputation uh, a star was born a world star and uh, you know it, it was obvious that since the Beatles were the kings of popular music uh, through, through internationally that George with his long hair should be uh, basically it was like Beatlemania coming into football um, and uh, well, that was uh, the sombrero. I, I don't know why the sombrero became, because the, the, this Portuguese sombrero is, 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 is not like that. That looks like a Mexican or a Spanish one. But anyway, who cares? Um, George, with his fashionable leather coat and his dark glasses, returned uh, a world star. Um, El Beetle. Well, you know, again, we're mixing up cultures a wee bit, but... Uh, <laughs> It does at least have a, an international edge. It does testify to his international reputation. Such excitement. Yeah. Extraordinary. And there weren't, you know, there weren't sort of uh, rock star footballers. You know, you could talk about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo now or, um, you know, the, 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 the other, other, other Lionel Messi. But the, George had put himself in that stratosphere. With, um, or at least had completed his rise to that stratosphere with that uh, that performance. Yeah, there, there was it was like a, a meeting of all these perfect storms coming together. Yeah. Like you said, pop yeah. culture on the rise. The fact that games were being broadcast now. They had the World Cup in England. There was a greater concentration on the game. Rina, yeah, 
new age of um, post-war youthful liberation, of which I'm yes. sure you indulged yourself, Paddy. Um, uh, yes, yeah, did my best, yeah. <laughs> and George, um, obviously, he was bigger at this in terms of British sport because of what he did. And it's, it's difficult to overstate how important that individual performance was because... Yes. This is, I mean, first of all, on an, on an emotional level, in, in how it ties to United's history in this series and the way we've talked about it, this is the kind of performance that had been tipped. And it, it would have been due, it would have been coming from an Edwards yeah. or a Taylor. But Best was yeah. younger than them, do you know? And that's, that's what made it even more stark. I mean, this is yeah. a seminal deconstruction of a great side and a performance so great that it's the first game that gets named after him. And this is a player who has two or three named after yeah. him in his career. It's a second goal for me, Paddy. Oh, there's two things that really get me about George's performance. The first is that um, he scores a goal that's disallowed. Um, mm. and It's just a run-of-the-mill goal. But because of the frenzy of everything that's happened, Jimmy Murphy, and this is one of the great studios of the students of the game and the great observers, for years afterwards, he thought that Best had scored a hat-trick in the game. So much so that when he wrote his... First autobiography, well, he's only autobiography in 1968. He referred to best hat trick. No, it yeah. happened in so much of a blur. Yeah. Clearly, there's um, more poetic license and less fact checking, but this is a podcast where we go through the fact checks and ruin all those poetic stories. But Jimmy, for a long time, had thought that George had scored a hat trick, um, which just showed you, he just made mincemeat. It was a, such a blur of what he was doing. And let us not also forget the fact that Busby probably cautious of what happened in Madrid um, with the babes and told his team, try and keep it tight for the first mm. 20 minutes. And George mm. just played his own game. <laughs> in um, one even out the other. Yeah. And it's the second goal for me, Paddy, the way that if you look at the goal again, and, and, and the footage is there, everyone can go and find yeah. it by themselves. It's mm. the way that he moves through two defenders and there doesn't seem to be the space for him to do it. I mean, you right. couldn't imagine, I mean, Duncan Edwards was he's simply too big to do something like that. Whereas George, could fly through like he's um uh, yeah absolutely right he he, he 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 also he could take the little he had the, such balance yeah i'm sure you know the laws of physics will correct me but he had such balance that you could take his legs uh away and he would still remain upright it was it, it was um and there was an example of it really he had no right to get through that space um, but he did because he, he, he just had such poise, um, almost like a, a, a balletic poise, you know, that, that you watch a ballet dancer and you think, well, they're, 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 they're going by rules that no one else has. Well, George also had his own rules of, uh, of, of remaining upright and still being able to perform. Yeah, I... I um... Obviously, wrote a biography of George um, a couple of years ago, and one of the great things um, about writing that was um, I, I talked to Antonio Simoes, who was a Benfica winger on that night, and um, the, the opposite number, the number eleven, yeah. Uh, yeah. in his own right, a, a Portuguese legend, and he and this is in keeping with the theme of the grace that people had for for being on the pitch in, in seminal yeah. performances like that. He, I mean, this would be a game that you would expect nobody would want to recount on the opposition side. Nobody would want to. Um, you mentioned it earlier. Yeah. This is Benfica, the great Benfica side, their first mm -hmm. ever defeat at home. They've been humiliated at home. You wouldn't expect someone to speak openly about this, let much less 
speak with the grace that Simoes did. I mean, he, he talked to me about it being a privilege to be on the pitch. Is that yeah, yeah, you know, for that performance, and it just shows you. I mean, that's how good the performance was because that. I mean, don't let's not get anything right. They, yes, sportsmanship was better in the sixties um, than it is today. Um, there, it was less antagonistic. There was a greater respect for your opponent, but the sting of a result like that would still yeah. hurt much the same for for a seasoned winner like these guys. So for some yeah. always I would say, look, on so, sometimes in football you are part of something that somebody else has script and yeah. it's so magnificent that it's just a privilege to be a part of it. So we're still yeah. having conversations about his 50, 60 years on. And yeah. um you mentioned he's yeah, one of the greatest all time um, team performances and results for United, but in terms of individual performances and and the impression that it made, I don't. Really, there, there might be one better, but when you think no. about it, when you're talking no. about it in these terms, it, it almost feels like you're describing the best individual individual performance in United history. Yes, it's uh, yeah. I I, I can't uh, I can't think of a better one. No, no. I think that's fair. I mean. You know, you, you can, uh, well, we're jumping ahead a little bit, but John Aston might have something to say about that. But, yeah. <laughs> but no, 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 no. I mean, that, you, you couldn't get in, in a way that you, you, you could make John Aston's European Cup final performance, but, and it was good. It was great. It was man of the match. Yes. That's no yeah. question, not in question, but no, not, you couldn't even compare that with uh with uh, george's performance in benfica no it's um yeah a miracle um uh, and yeah the bittersweet aspect of it being that it should have been the kind of performance that busby would have seen from one of those lads who perished in in munich and it made it made george's um contribution all the more poignant because now all these hopes rested on him um and then when he was injured against parties well, he's actually injured, injured against preston in the cup Mm -hmm. And he tried to battle through it, uh, but he picked up all parties and Belgrade that were dealing with their own. Uh, that was in uh, so yeah, because uh, getting through Benfica, United drew partisan Belgrade. Yeah. A, a sentimental return for Charlton, Fulks, and uh, Busby, of course, um, to Belgrade. Uh, and Belgrade won the first leg of that 2 0. Um, United were in a lot of trouble because George picked up this injury. Um, mm -hmm. A bit, a bit. He was playing with every strapping anyway on his thigh, and he, he would immediately, um, eventually need surgery on it. But he was, he tried to battle through. Um, they, they took him out of the game basically. And the, the footage that we got for when we made the film of True Genius, there was, um, there was the footage that showed him actually buckling over in the challenge he went through, <laughs> trying to bravely go through on the goalkeeper. But and he was already playing with a bandage on his leg, but he went over, and you could see that he, you know. He, he was playing through pain anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and he wasn't the George Best that destroyed Benfica. Yeah. And without George for the remainder of the season, the United sort of stumbled in. It really was a, a disappointing climax to what promised so much on the night in Benfica. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I, absolutely. <clears throat> because as we mentioned before, the, the focus was very much on the Cups. Um, and uh, the FA Cup, took uh, United on a very short journey, but it was a short journey for both clubs because it was to Bolton in the FA Cup semi uh, that United and Everton converged 
Uh, close game, Wayne, but uh, not the right result for United. Who, who was the key man there? Colin Harvey, who would later become Everton manager and Everton youth team coach and would actually coach a young Wayne Rooney. Uh-huh. Ties go all So way. his his, uh, his contribution to Manchester United's cause wasn't entirely malign. In no, <laughs> but but for the, these United lads in the 60s, I mean, the likes of Den- Dennis Lowe, George Best, uh, mm. Lowe had already been there and won an FA Cup, so that's like Bobby Charlton, but the likes mm. of George Best who'd been there and, and sort of been around the Wembley party when that had happened, they were desperate for a cup final of their own. Mm. And yeah, obviously George may not have even made it to the final anyway, but they were desperate no. for that. And that was another... Another of those bad luck stories for United um, Everton um, going to the final. And, you know, you obviously have Partizan Belgrade in the second leg. They'd already established too strong a lead in the first leg. So United, um, it was a very physical game, the second one. Um, mm-hmm. I think Styles' stories from the, the Eusebio confrontation had reached the, the Belgrade players. That's and right. It was a very That's difficult right. second leg um, in that. But United won 1 0, but was still out. And really, I mean, we talk about the campaign being disrupted by injuries, and really that's it. I mean, the key times to Dennis Law, George Best, Bill Folks, Harry Gregg. Mm-hmm. Um, the Folks injury necessitated a, a recall for Noel Campwell, who in the previous season had looked to be on the verge of leaving Paddy. I mean, he was still the club captain, but Dennis Law stepped in as yeah. team captain. Yeah, Dennis Law would, would have the art. I don't know if they had armbands already at that time, but... Dennis Law was the sort of team captain on the park when, when injury permitted, and um, and uh, and Cantwell just was was basically a, a replacement, a, a, a fringe player by, by by this stage. Although he was, as you say, club captain. Um, but there, there were also there was a bit of a sign of this good youth team that we alluded to in the last two episodes a couple of them were beginning to make uh, make an impression weren't they yeah we'll come on to the squad in a moment before we move on to that let's talk about yeah. bobby charlton bobby charlton um becomes the first manchester united player since johnny carey to win the football of the year award mm. we've talked about him being soft and on the periphery of the spotlight and, and obviously we've given mm. a great deal of time to georgia's individual performance in, mm-hmm. in Africa, but charlton's consistency now was so integral to the team and the way his level of performance was so high that he was being talked about in the same breath as as low and, and best wasn't he yes he was indeed um I mean, in talking, in paying tribute to George's great performance in Lisbon uh, and in the previous episode, uh, Dennis Law's riotous goal scoring in, in, uh, that had given him the Ballon d'Or, that the the Holy Trinity, as I, I don't know, was it David Meek or somebody who, who, who uh, coined that phrase, that was already beginning to form. And Bobby Charlton's emergence, despite his... You know, you could say was less of a a showman than the other two, Best and, and Law, uh, but he was beginning to become as spectacular. He'd been moved, as we mentioned in previous episodes, from outside left, which he'd often played, to that central midfield comes striker mm-hmm. role, and an example. The, the word pile driver 
was to become associated with but when you thought of long-range explosive shooting you thought you know you in in later years you immediately thought of bobby charlton maybe peter Lorimer at least but <clears throat> a fulminating shot that charlton had and we saw it in this season towards the end of a season in um a 6-1 win at home to Aston Villa. Very much an end-of-season atmosphere, only 23,000 in the ground at Old Trafford. But we saw one of the Charlton pile drivers, you know, explosive drive from very long range. Bear in mind that balls were so heavy that you, you very rarely, rarely scored from outside the box until then. But uh, Bobby Charlton was to make it part of the game. Um, and uh, yes, he got one in that 6-1 win uh, at home to Villa. Um, uh, Jimmy Ryan, we talked about youth. Jimmy Ryan was also in that game. He'd made his debut in the previous one. I can't remember who that was against. Um, but yeah, certainly a bit of end of season cheer for that sparse Old Trafford crowd. They could almost all have crammed into uh, the new cantilever stand. Well, they may well have done as well. Um, so, yeah, United finished in fourth in the league, two semi-finals, and that shared charity shield mm -hmm. uh, performance. We'll, we'll run through the squad um, mm -hmm. as I put up the team sheet. If uh, Well, uh, oh, team, yes. team photo there, um, of about 50 players. <laughs> I won't mention them all as we go uh, through. We um, could. We could easily. There are a lot of... People, yes, I can. Uh, for those who can't see it, it must be very frustrating listening to you rabbiting on about it. But uh, <laughs> you can see on the this extended squad picture of about 24, 25 players, um, you can already see, um, is Jimmy Ryan in there? John Fitzpatrick. Um, yep. Yeah. The um, the kids are the kids are all right. They're coming through, and yeah, um, yeah that's that's that it, that's that's a great picture. Yeah, a great number of players, there, and many of them. When if you go back and watch this on the video, if you listen on the audio, many of them we have already mentioned. But we'll go through the squad statistics now and come up to the welcome to the two new players who've played in the team this season, although we have given them previous mentions, but we'll give them their own dedicated time this time round. Um, the senior goalkeeper this time round, as we've already talked about, was Harry Gregg. But mm. really, this was an indication of United's problems in this area. He played 38 games in all competitions, 26 in the league. Gaskell and Dunn played eight times in the league each. Which is extraordinary when you think that Dunn was the first choice throughout the title season of was it 64 yeah last five? season yeah he'd been brought in for a, that amazing sort of uh, um rise and fall that really in in a sense although he as you say he still made eight league appearance eight appearances yeah, yeah. Uh, 11 in all competitions and yeah. gaston made nine in all competitions they both had a game in the european cup and done to harry's fitness yeah um in the fullback positions, Shea Brennan, 39 appearances in all competitions, 28 in the league, so even he missed a few. So Campwell coming in for 23 appearances following mm -hmm. just a handful of the previous season. He um, made 29 in all competitions with two league goals. Tony Dunn, though, um, any idea that he would miss games is um, would have been laughed at by Dunn. He missed only two in yeah. the league. 
40 appearances, one goal. He didn't score many, um, but that goal came in the league. He played 56 times in all competitions. Uh, Bobby Noble, that we'll come on to now. So Bobby Noble was um, the FA Youth Cup winning captain. We have talked about him in previous episodes, but bared well enough for this um, this time around. I mean, he made his debut at the back end of the season, 20, so quite late when he did come into the side, but that's because United were blessed so heavily with the fullbacks that they had. Um, Stockbone, Stockport-born, very quick, very intense in training, uh, two-footed mm-hmm. player, pro- predominantly going to, well, they was tipped to come through a left-back, but he could have played a right if he needed to. But he's also so intense in training that he was banned from coming up against George in case he might kick him out of the weekend. Mm-hmm. In fact, mm-hmm. he, actually, he actually admitted himself, I had a chip on my shoulder. I wasn't too happy with the glamour boys. I was inclined to be a bit naughty. Paddy, yeah. I mean, he, he made two appearances in the league. Yeah. This should have been the start of one of United's great careers, right? Very much so. Um, I mean, everybody who saw, I saw him play twice, I think. And uh, when I first went to Manchester, and he was everything people say. Um, neat, tidy, um, undemonstrative, but incredibly effective. One of these guys who could, he could look after himself. Uh, in fact, he went beyond that at times, as you've just said. And uh, as hard a player as you could possibly find, but he could play, but he could really play. Um, and and, and uh, probably the greatest asset he had is that he was, you know, if you look at, um, you know, a, a no discussion of, of Man United great fullbacks could be complete without Dennis Irwin. Well, Bobby Noble was probably even more um, uh, adept with his wrong foot, so to speak, than, than Dennis Irwin. Um, and uh, I, I'm not saying necessarily even better than Dennis Irwin, but you, even though he played relatively few games, you would have to put Bobby Noble in that argument yeah. um, about great United fullbacks. Yeah, um, and he'll get discussed next season as well because he's, he, he does become a prominent figure in the team. Yeah. Um, the centre-backs, we already mentioned Bill Folks, just reduced to 33 league appearances this season, but a critical 33 because of the nine that he missed. Um, 48 in all competitions and a single goal that came in the European Cup. He was often joined in the back line, and we'll put up that tactic sheet in a moment by Nobby Styles. 55 appearances in all competitions with three goals, two in 39 in the league. Pat Creran in the half-back line as well. 41 league appearances, 56 in all competitions and a single goal. And John Fitzpatrick would be the other guy who would come in. He made three appearances, one substitute appearance in the league. So that's four and one in all competitions, five competi- uh, five appearances for him. Then we get into the um, wings, wingers, the forward line. Williamson, seven appearances, seven starts, I should say, and substitute appearance. Now we're starting to see them. So eight appearances in all competitions, five appearances um, in the league. John Aston, 28 appearances in all competitions, four goals, 23 and four in the league. George Best with 17 goals in 43, nine in 31 in the league. Bobby Charlton, as we earlier mentioned, 18 goals in 54 in all competitions, so consistent. 
in terms yeah. of output and um, being there on the pitch as well. 16 in 38 in the league. John Canelli, he's missed a few games as well. He misses 10 in the league, um, 31 appearances and a, and a substitute appearance and uh, five goals in the league, 13 in all competitions for him. Dennis Law, as always reliable with the goals, 24 goals in 49 games, 15 in 33 in the league. Top goal scorer, though, this season is David Hurd with 33 in 51 and a substitute appearance as well, 24 in 37 games in the league. David Sadler makes 10 league appearances and scores four goals. And that leads us on to the final debutant who you mentioned earlier on, Paddy, is Jimmy Ryan. Um, he, the other side of the scale to George, really very shy, very young. And he was George's best friend for a little while, but they were very yeah. opposite in terms of character. In fact, no, that, let's say very opposite. For a while, they were very similar in terms of character, right? They're inside forwards. Um, Jim, yeah. a little bit more workmanlike than George. He didn't have the braggadocious style on the pitch, but off yeah. the pitch, they were they were the two lads who would have been at the back of the pack, wouldn't they? That's all oh, very much so. They both, um, uh, like looking at pretty girls, but um, they were they, part of the reason they were pals was that they neither of them had much of a taste for the booze. Yeah, uh, uh, Jimmy re recalled that uh, that George would make a one bottle of beer last the whole night, and he probably wouldn't have finished it at the end of the evenings when they went out. So it was, yeah, they were they were pals. They were both relatively shy i mean i mentioned george as a showman but that was on the field off the field he was quite self-effacing uh, particularly in his younger years but but jim back in the back in the yeah had, had come through to the side had scored in that game that i mentioned against uh, against villa but very different uh in terms of physicality from John Fitzpatrick, who we mentioned before, who, who came on as sub for, for Dennis. And, you know, with Fitzpatrick, his fellow Aberdonian law, um, Fulks, Styles, um, who was the other one you mentioned earlier? It's Crerant. I mean, and, and, and we haven't even mentioned Bobby Noble. I mean, Manchester United were very much equipped by now for the um, physicality that was about to, well, really, it grew during the 60s mm. and I suppose was to be exemplified by a roughhouse cup final, uh, which ended at Old Trafford, with a very good game between Chelsea and Leeds, which was basically a... Um, an assassination match um, with a bit of football mixed in. So <laughs> United were very much equipped for that side of things um, if the football didn't work as it did in uh, in Lisbon. Um, the team tactics. I mean, I've got it's the same um, same lineup from last the last episode, but obviously Greg would have been in goal. Dunn is in there because he would have been first choice if he had been able to stay fit. Um, but Greg was in there. And, and really, this was already necessitating Busby thinking, and I, I think I need to make another change in in my goalkeeping area. Mm -hmm. um, and the rest of the side is sort of looking really solid at the moment. Uh, there's yeah. a lot of players coming to the peak as well. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's worth saying, Wayne, sorry to interrupt, but that 
we talk about Lobes Charlton, and they're now part of, of, of Manchester United. In fact, they're one of the most glamorous aspects of Manchester United's history. But when you gave me the statistics, gave us the statistics of David Heard there, you realize Heard would have been a standout in any other team. But because yeah. of those three, and you've just reeled off his goal-scoring record in, in the 65-6 season, that yeah. would have made him a star at, at, at pretty well any other club. Yeah, I mean, that follows on from 28 the previous season and 27 the season before yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and th there was this feeling at the time that he wasn't ever as popular with the Old Trafford crowd as those um, those other players. But yeah. it, it, like I said, the figures speak for themselves, don't they? It's really, yeah. Yes, they do. Really, yeah. um, I, I absolutely do. But he is uh, an undersung part of, of this... this uh, section of Manchester United history, but I'm glad we've had the chance to dwell on David Heard a little bit. Certainly very, very good value for whatever it was, 40,000 or whatever they paid, no less, to bring him from Arsenal. Yeah. Um, the colours this season United wore were red, white, and the red socks still, I believe, yet still in red socks, all white, mm. second strip, and the blue shirt and white shorts and socks was the third kit. And the United Review match programme still remained the same with the handshake on the front at the top. With a um, bizarre handshake, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll keep mentioning that until it gets changed. Um, average, average attendance this season dropped again, in spite of the new stand, 41,352 yeah. at the ground. Um, and the key result for United this season, without doubt, was the win over Benfica because it yeah. gave this idea of a very rosy future and sort of put everything else into shade. And when you look at a season when you don't win anything and, and he's still remembered for a result and a performance like that tells you everything that you need to know about how important it was. Mm. Um, elsewhere in football, Liverpool mm. won the league. I don't like saying that very much, mm. but fortunately... Gonna have the, to key, the key key result, you're talking about United's key result, the key result for Liverpool was beating United at Anfield. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where um, they came from behind to win 2-1 and that gave... Liverpool, the impetus to, to run away and, and claim the title. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, New Year's Day, that one. Um, Low scored and, yeah, Liverpool came back and, yeah, steamrolled their way to title. Their neighbours, Everton, went on to win the FA Cup after knocking United out. And West Brom, who we need to give a mention to because they scored mm. 91 league goals this season. Top mm. scorers in the division. Um, and they, they got just reward for their efforts by, yeah. beating, uh, by winning the League Cup. Um yeah, brief, brief mention, if I may, sorry, um, uh, yeah, on yeah. that cup final, it was one of the classics. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday were 2-0 up. Everton came from behind to, to beat them 3-2 uh, in one of the classic uh, classic cup finals. Yeah. And you were going to say something about Liverpool. Um, and they got to the cup winners' cup final, and they were not out by well, not not out beating in the final in Glasgow. In Hampton in Glasgow, Park. yeah, Hampton Park, yeah, by Borussia Dortmund, yeah, and. Uh, yeah, that was uh, also elsewhere in football, and, and we are ignoring an elephant in the room here, but uh, we ought to say that Matt Busby's neighbour was now uh, Joe Mercer, new manager of Manchester City, who made the inspired decision to appoint as his coach one Malcolm Allison. And under Mercer and Allison, Man City were promoted. So we can look forward in the next episode the Dar Manchester derbies again. 
Um, the first attempt at broadcasting a live game from one ground to another happened earlier this season. So oh, Coventry really? had a game at Cardiff and it was broadcast back to Highfield Road and I think 10,000 fans were in attendance there. Um, mm. Real Madrid won the European Cup. Um, after winning the first five, they'd had a little bit of a hiatus well, with the Inter Milan um, and Benfica mm-hmm. mini-dominance, you would say. And they came mm-hmm. from behind to beat Partizan Belgrade in the final. Um, there. And it'd be a long time before Real Madrid won it again. Mm. Uh, by the way, it'd be a long time. Um, yeah, a long time, yeah. But that's... Um, we, we, uh, this, this elephant in the room that I talked about before, Wayne, is... Um, uh, neither Dennis Law nor I remember it with any great fondness because it was, of course, 1966, as everybody knows, the year in which England won that World Cup on home ground. And uh, this came in a summer. And the reason I mentioned Dennis Law is that at the end of the season, Dennis went back to uh, stay with his family in Aberdeen, but he left a letter with... Uh, the club at the club for Matt Busby. He didn't want to deliver the letter personally because inside it was a transfer or a demand. It wasn't a transfer request. It was a demand for more money. To which Matt, a furious Matt Busby, uh, responded with by putting him on the transfer list. Uh, Dennis Law. And Anyway, this, you know, even Dennis was a bit scared by this. And so between them, Busby and Law cooked up a little deal whereby Dennis got the pay rise as long as he promised not to. He also wanted a lump sum, but he he wasn't given that. He was given his pay rise, but told, just don't go bragging about it in the dressing room. I don't want the other players to know. He said, fine, no problem, Bob. And in return, he wrote a letter apologizing to Matt Busby for asking for a transfer so that Matt was able to keep his uh, power over the dressing room. And Dennis got his dosh. However, it wasn't entirely a happy summer for Dennis because England, as I say, won this World Cup with Bobby Charlton very, very much prominence. I know West Ham because they had more Peters and Hurst were able to claim that they were fundamental to winning the World Cup for England, but undoubtedly Charlton stamped himself uh, in that summer at Wembley Stadium as one of the best players in the world. And in fact, from that tournament onwards, the the words Bobby Charlton were part of an international language of football. Wherever you went, you know, people would say, oh, Bobby Charlton, you know. So, it, it, it was great, but uh, as I say, not for, uh, yes, for Bobby Charlton, yes, for Nobby Styles, uh, but not for Dennis, who, well, on the day England won the World Cup, was famously playing golf to try and get away from it. There's no truth to the rumours that Paddy or Dennis were behind the, the theft of the Jules Rimet trophy. In an <laughs> no. No, I, we uh, not, both of us would would deny that, but uh, we know who uh, found the trophy. Uh, who was that? Uh, I can't remember the. You tell Pickle, me. The Pickles the dog. Pickles, Pickles. yes. <laughs> Pickles the dog. It was stolen 
before the tournament, I think, and found on a piece of, was it Wasteland or something, yeah. right, Pickles the dog, who became yeah. a national hero for finding the FA Cup. Yeah, but unfortunately he didn't get a medal. And uh, wouldn't be awarded with the Ballon d'Or, um, as Bobby Charlton eventually would for, for his efforts yeah. this year. But Pickles is also no less part of the national folklore than Bobby Charlton yeah. for his efforts Absolutely. that year. Um, yeah, quickly, well dealt with, Paddy. I know it's a, a painful subject, but we can now move on from England. Don't dwell on it as much as we, we do the Dundee League title win, because <laughs> we're not that bothered about it on this episode. Um, that's it. Um, we'll be back next time to see if United can um, re-challenge for the league after a difficult season. If you're watching the video, please give it a like and subscribe. Join in the conversation in the comment section. If you're listening back on the audio podcast please be sure to subscribe and give us a review on the platform you're listening on thanks for watching thanks for listening we'll be back next time